The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, everybody. It is me, Ryan Wilson. Will Brinson is taking his post-Super Bowl break. He'll be back uh, tomorrow, I would imagine. But it's the draft show. That's why I'm hosting this bad boy. It's me, as always, with Josh Edwards and Chris Passo. The Senior Bowl is in the books. The Super Bowl is in the books. So it is officially draft season. Officially, apparently spelled an A, as I pronounce it. Uh, before we get started here, though, guys, uh, if you're watching for the first time on YouTube and you like the show, Give us a like. You can subscribe to the channel, turn on the alerts, get the bell notifications for when we go live. There'll be plenty of live shows, even in the, the postseason here with free agency, with traps. So uh, give us a old thumbs up if you, if you like what we have here. And uh, also, if you love the show and you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. Uh, they really help. And you can even give us a five-star rating and then say something bad about Will Brinson. It's a win for everyone. So uh, if you don't mind, that would be fabulous, as the, uh, as the kids say. I don't think kids say that. All right, guys, let's get to it. Let's start at the top, uh, because if we work for the Rams and their scouting department, uh, we got the next four or five months off because there's not a whole lot to do. They don't have a first-round pick to the year 3000, and it feels like maybe this is a, a blueprint for things to come because uh, I say it all the time. We overvalue these first-round picks, but that's part of the fun. Um, so when people say, well, there's no way I'm giving up three first round picks for Deshaun Watson. Should he be free and clear legally? I'm thinking, well, you might, you might want to do that. Cause you might end up with Daniel Jones, for example, uh, Josh, I'll start with you. What, what are your first thoughts in this post ramp Super Bowl era that we now live in uh, about how Leslie, the GM put this team together? Well, it's a combination of, um, you know, building a roster that you feel like you have several, uh, contributors and then adding those star talents on top of it. I mean, you look at the star talent on that roster with Jalen Ramsey, Von Miller, Matthew Stafford. I mean, they went out and they acquired those guys because they felt like they had this roster built around those positions to make a run to the Super Bowl. And obviously that's what happened. I think, um, you know, when we talk about like Dave Gettleman last year, how he wasn't using spreadsheets, how he had you know, the old fashioned, you know, he's 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 got his books out. He's going through all of his books, doesn't even um, still has the magnets, I think, uh, <laughs> as Brian Dable said in reference to his introductory press conference. We talk about like the traditional way of doing things. And now you're bringing in this new generation of general managers. And it's the ones that grew up playing Madden, you know, the ones that get excited about 
all of these big trades that they make. And I feel like that's what's being infused into today's NFL. So you look at where you are as a, in, in the state of your franchise. Some teams simply cannot afford to trade that kind of draft capital get, to get that star talent. But others feel like they have a roster that's ready to contend. And maybe they go out and they splurge on, you know, a Matthew Stafford or a Von Miller to kind of complete their roster and fully um, go all in to make a Super Bowl run. So Traps, they haven't had a first-round pick since 2016 when they moved around for Jared Goff. That was the year before Sean McVay got there. Uh, but they have been crushing their subsequent draft picks uh, to a, a noteworthy degree because they have a lot of guys, not only that they get on day two, but day three that are contributors. And just quickly, 2017, they got Cooper Cup in the third round. That seems like stealing. That same draft, Gerald Everett in round two and John Johnson in round three. They're elsewhere now, but those guys contributed a lot. Josh Reynolds in round four. My goodness. Uh, the next year, 2018, Joseph Noteblum in round three. Uh, Brian Allen in, in round four, both those guys contributors. Taylor Rapp, Daryl Henderson, Dave Long, all guys who played uh, in, in the, the Super Bowl run. Those guys are rounds two and three picks in 2019. Cam Akers, Van Jefferson, Terrell Burgess, who got injured. That's why we saw the return of an uh, old man basketball player there at the end. Uh, Bryson Hopkins, who played a lot in the Super Bowl because yeah. of the injuries. With Tyler Higby, he's a fourth-round pick. Jordan Fuller was a big part of what they do before he got hit, entered a sixth-round pick. And it goes on and on. Ernest Jones was a third-round pick rookie last year out of South Carolina who had a huge impact in that game. So Ben Skoranek was a seventh-rounder, and he, if I'm being honest, not to crap on him, but he played like a seventh-rounder for most of the season. But that that is what it is. But I would say they are crushing their day two and day three picks. Are you okay with giving up the first-rounders? And how would you grade what they've done in rounds days two and three in the last four years? As a draft analyst, I think I'm supposed to say I'm not okay with them trading away first round picks because those are supposed to be the most valuable things like in the world to me besides my family. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I do think that the Von Miller trade in season, the Odell Beckham jr. Trade in season, certainly swinging for the fences with Matthew Stafford. Yeah. Teams that are, you know, one player away, so to speak, that are the contenders that are picking in the twenties or early thirties. Um, I, I think they're, they've kind of seen the floodgates open where, Hey, if Von Miller is available, if Odell Beckham Jr., a talent like that is available at the trade deadline, you don't necessarily get any extra points. You don't get any extra wins if you're competitive for 10 years or five or six years down the road. The Rams might not be that competitive in the, into the future, but they now have a Super Bowl ring. And before that, you know, trading for Brandon Cooks, getting to the Super Bowl a few years ago, they traded a first rounder for him. Like this has been a philosophy that Les Need and to a kind of lesser extent, Sean McVay. We're just completely behind and saying, hey, no one else is doing this. Let's trade these first rounders. The other thing to me, though, like you mentioned, Ryan, that I think we do need to take out of this because it's obvious, you know, trade first rounders to get these star players. Like you mentioned, the day two and day three picks are so valuable. Like, it, like on the surface, it seems like, hey, they don't care about their scouting department. They just find who's good and they'll trade first and second round picks for them. But like you mentioned, Cooper Cup, a lot of the contributors and then to have Aaron Donald on the roster that was a homegrown talent, that certainly helps as well. So um, I, I think we will see more teams be more aggressive to uh, trade for players, but also we need to realize that day two and day three, even though we're only doing mock drafts with one round, those picks are super valuable, and they're not the guys that are going to swing you from winning a Super Bowl to not, but they can help you get there, and they're important cheap pieces to have on your roster. All right, Josh, without looking, do you remember the Rams' last first-round pick prior to Jared Goff in 2016? Oh, who it was specifically? Yeah. 
Um, let's see. 10 years ago, that's not Aaron Donald. It would be 2015. Who would that it, have been? Yeah, the 2015 that, class. I'm guessing it's somebody that's not on the roster based on the way he is no longer on the roster. You're setting it up. Um, Look at that. You guys don't even know. You're going to, you're going to hate yourselves when I tell you the answer. The 2015 class was kind of like, who do you got? Is it Greg Robinson? That's 2014. I'm going to tell you 2015. Come on guys. Todd Gurley. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, Todd yeah. Gurley. Okay. Well, they got to a Super Bowl with him, I guess. But. Wow. <laughs> Not because of him, but they got there for sure. Yeah. Tenth overall he was pick. on the roster. Yeah. He was on the roster. That was a Jeff Fisher special. And uh, just goes to show you, I mean, at the time, I think we all agreed that that's part of, that was sort of the time where we were talking about running backs. That's awfully high for a running back. And then, of course, Jerry Jones mm-hmm. took Zeke Elliott. I think I leaned into your overall point by also adding Greg Robinson into that conversation. You know, it doesn't matter how many first round picks you have if you're not doing anything with those first round picks. Yeah, in fact, that's right. They had two first round picks that year. Maybe that's part of the RG3 trade, but they got Aaron Donald at 13 and Greg Robinson at number two. Uh, Yeah, so just a little stroll down memory lane. And again, perhaps reiterating the fact that first round pick, we overvalue them and perhaps we should take the approach of uh what the Rams did uh, on that note I remember the time when the Ram- the uh, Falcons traded up for Julio Jones thinking oh my gosh they gave up way too much look man they should have won a Super Bowl and I think we would have all been okay with it and then you know 23 happened so I'm, I'm okay with with the idea with the notion even as someone you know this is our job to talk about draft stuff if, if teams love a guy and you know what you're going to get in that guy uh in this case the the Odell Beckham's of the world and the Von Miller's of the world uh, the Matthew Stafford's of the world in that Sean McVay offense, by all means, give up draft picks. And if you think that Julio Jones is your guy in the draft and you love him, go get him. I mean, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You go to the Super Bowl and get, get up 28, 25 points and then lose. I mean, you know, we're not still talking about that. Uh, any other takeaways from sort of the uh, the Ram side of things after out of this Super Bowl season? Any player that sort of stuck out, stuck out to you in, in terms of a draft perspective? Um, a guy that maybe we weren't talking a lot about throughout the draft process. I mean, I was surprised that they took Tutu Atwell second over uh, in their second round just because he's so undersized and he feels like a specialty player. But they they um, they um found a way to get the most out of the guys. And maybe Ernest Jones is that guy. I don't know if you guys had anyone in the last few drafts that, that really made an impact for you. Uh, Travis, uh, Greg ahead. Gaines. Probably Ooh. Greg Gaines, who, who played pretty well as kind of that, like, rotational piece up front out of Washington. A lot of those big nose tackle, defensive tackle types out of that program – um, recently have been first round picks. Greg Gaines had a really good career at Washington. I believe he was a day three pick like later in the draft. And he was kind of important. I, I was on another podcast recently and they mentioned that early in Aaron Donald's career, he was as good as he is now or, or hit the ground running once he got to the NFL, but he was on some bad defenses. It, it actually took the Rams to build up the defensive line around him for everyone to be like, wow, this is a really, really top notch defense anchored by Aaron Donald. So Greg Gaines is the one that just that high motor player, deceptive athleticism, uh, pretty good pass rusher, good run defender. That was a really good find by the scouting department that never gets a chance to make a first round pick. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. You got anybody, Josh? Well, I think just to your larger overall opinion, one thing that I was going to touch on when you don't have those first round picks, you have to be very efficient with your day two, day three, and into undrafted free agency um, and they've done that. I mean, Darius Williams, Taylor Rapp, um, Jordan Fuller, when he was healthy, 
uh, Ernest Jones, who we've discussed, Gaines. I mean, they've done a fantastic job outside of day one, and I think that's also a big reason uh, why they found themselves in the Super Bowl. Yeah, without question. And I think what they've done on day three is, has been incredibly impressive, even late day two. I mean, Cooper Cup feels like a, a Hall of Famer, much more so than Matthew Stafford, as our buddy Will Brinson continues to push. But uh, that, <laughs> that is an amazing find. But again, and I probably said on this podcast, but I say it every time I talk about Cooper Cup, he ran a 4.62. And, you know, we sometimes fall in love with those things. And that's part of the issue with the combine and the pro days is that we'll be that the numbers will obscure, you know, what we saw when we saw these kids play in college and, and probably affect uh, affect how we feel about them. Even in reality, we know that <laughs> they're good football players. All right. Let's talk about John Breach's Bengals, uh, a team that I thought was actually going to pull it off. And uh, Josh, be honest. Did you want the Bengals to lose because you're a Browns fan? Um, I was conflicted because. <laughs> On the other sideline, you have Odell Beckham Jr. and the way that that mm. whole situation played out if you're a Browns fan. Um, you know, I didn't really have a strong opinion one way or another. I was probably leaning against Cincinnati just because I'm <laughs> here in the heart of uh, Bengals country. Oh, right. Um, but I will say, you know, watching the Super Bowl surrounded by so many Bengals fans, every time you knew it was going to be a crazy night the first time they kicked that field goal because there were fireworks going off in my neighborhood. And I was like, oh, okay, nice. that, that kind of sets the stage for how this is going to go after every score. And even after the loss, they must've been like, we've got all these leftover fireworks. What are we supposed <laughs> to do now? So they let them off anyway. Um, but it was, you know, it was fun to be in the city to see the kind of excitement that the fans had for, uh, for that playoff run. Cause nobody expected it. So I think everybody <laughs> kind of approached it with, House money at that point. Yeah, and by the way, win for the rest of the AFC North because Zach Taylor just got an extension, so that's good for both you and me. Uh, Traps, let me ask you this. As a Bills fan, did you watch that game and think that should have been us as uh, as a Bills team because it feels like the Bengals squandered that opportunity? I did. I did a little bit. I, I think <laughs> the Bills would have probably not been the best matchup for the Rams uh, just because Aaron Donald probably would have wreaked havoc on the Bills' interior offensive line. But yeah, it, it felt like watching that game, the immense problems that the Bengals had after that long T Higgins touchdown to start the third quarter, like some of those plays where Joe Burrow was holding onto the ball, wasn't able to escape from the pocket. Like, yeah, Josh Allen probably could have made a big play here oh, with his legs. He would have, yeah, um, that would have been something. My dad did not handle it. I mean, I've, I feel like I'm like <laughs> dragging my dad through the mud because I've said this a lot, but my dad did not handle it well. Like like the, the Chiefs-Bengals AFC title game, he mentioned to me like, Hey, we should be at the tailgate right now. Like this should be a home game for the bills. He would just was kind of like, uh, he was ornery during like this super bowl. Like he didn't just watch it for fun. Cause he loves football. He was like, this is annoying to me because this should be the bills playing in this game. But 13 seconds happened. Did he watch American gangsters had to watch in the super bowl? Because that's what Debo did when the Eagles lost back in 2008, he missed the Steelers. Cardinals Super oh, Bowl because wow. he no he, was, he, he watched it he was just not in a good like a you know Super Bowl Sunday is like an American tradition and it's like you, you're eating good food it's but he was just not having it he was just like I think every time the Bengals punted or there was a sack he in his head envisioned Josh Allen like leaping over someone and making a big play well here's the hope in the 50 cent hanging upside down made him feel a little better for <laughs> 20 minutes 20 minutes of intermission uh okay so we'll, we'll continue to talk about the Bengals because uh even though your dad was angry traps and and josh honestly admitted that he he wasn't really on that Bengals bandwagon uh that offensive line sucks i mean it sucks to a degree that i feel like 
Joe Burrow almost had to have two knee surgeries after that game. He he got he escaped. Luckily, it appears he's not going to need surgery for that. So that's good. He had obviously ACL injury last year because the offensive line still sucked in 2020. Here's the thing: they have 55 million in change in cap space, um, and they have however many picks they have. I think they have their their regular assortment of picks. How much, Josh, should they devote cap wise and draft wise to the offensive line? Uh, there isn't any amount that I could say that would justify how much they need to spend on the offensive line. I would try to sign uh, Teron Armstead. I would try to get Ryan Jensen. Um, you know, you, <laughs> the Christmas vacation where you uh, kidnap the boss. Um, oh, that's yeah. what I would be doing with both of those guys because it has to be a priority. I mean, if I have to see another season with Joe Burrow laying on the ground in agony, um, and that was the other conflicting thing. Like Joe Burrow is one of my favorite players in the NFL. He grew up a half an hour away from where I'm from, very small town in, in Southeast Ohio. Um, so I was excited to see that for him and his family, but um, they have to do everything in their power to upgrade the offensive line this offseason. I would spend um, a lot of money in free agency and I would also use my first round pick, assuming that there is a you know quality player on the board there, but, um, Cincinnati, that has to be the the absolute priority for them this offseason. I think the one hurdle that they'll have to clear is what we saw last year with Carl Lawson. That's a franchise that doesn't like to give guaranteed money beyond one year. And if you're going to go get a Teron Armstead or a Ryan Jensen, you're going to have to make a little bit larger of a commitment to make that happen. Yeah, no, that's right. So, Traps, I'll throw some names out at you in terms of free agency and also – you can give me some of your, your draft options at the bottom of the first round here for talking offensive linemen for the Bengals. Brandon Scherf, uh, Cam Robinson, Josh mentioned Armstead and, and Ryan Jensen. Um, Jason Kelsey, I, I think he's 34, and you know I would imagine if he's coming back, he's going to play in Philadelphia. Any those names, all those names, who are you targeting with $55 million, and then who are you looking at in the draft at the bottom of round one? I would sign Brandon Scherf. I, I would go one big name free agent, maybe a couple third wave types up front. And then like Josh said, either the first or the second round pick at tackle or at offensive guard center, doesn't matter. At least two instant starters that you believe are going to be high caliber starters at the beginning of the 2022 season. I love Zion Johnson from Boston college. And the fact that he can play center or guard Trey Hopkins uh, is not really an upper-level center. I, I think he's a liability. And usually offensive lines that have a good center that can communicate the protections really well, they usually help out the guard. So if Zion Johnson has to come in and play center right away, plug him in next to Brandon Scherf, suddenly that interior pressure um, that has certainly been a problem for this offensive line and for Joe Burrow over the past two seasons probably wouldn't be as frequently happening. So those two guys make the most sense to me. Kenyon Green from Texas A&M doesn't really do it as much for me as probably other people, maybe you two. Um, but if he's there in the second round or if they trade back or if they just feel like, hey, we just need another body up front, I, I would be okay with that. But Zion Johnson and Brandon Scherf to shore up the interior and then maybe look at third or fourth round for a tackle as well because Isaiah Prince is not going to do it at right tackle if you are expecting Joe Burrow in this offense to be of Super Bowl caliber you know, for 2022 and beyond. Yeah, I think Riley Reef's going to be a free agent. Got some bad news for you on Zion Johnson. He's going 20th to the Steelers. If they take Malik Willis there <laughs> instead, of, instead of Zion Johnson, I'm going to be very angry. He is a fun player to watch, uh, Zion Johnson. As, fun, as, most fun as, you can, as much fun as you can have watching interior uh, offensive linemen. Um, 
I had him taking Bernard Raymond um, in the latest mock I'd be okay draft. with that. Yeah, because he's a guy. Actually, I want to hear, get your thoughts on on him as well. As long as we're talking off the fly, and talking the the Bengals, because he's a guy who only played two years at left tackle, tied in before that, hadn't played a lot of football. He's originally from Austria, uh, so I imagine it's gonna be a learning curve. Now he plays left tackle. Jonah Williams can play right tackle. Jonah Williams had a pretty good year uh, if he's healthy. Traps, where are you at on, on Bernard Raymond at the bottom of round one? And what what is the sort of learning curve you think for him, given that he hasn't played a ton of football? Yeah, that's where he kind of feels like he should be slotted for me uh, or, or like where he should ultimately go in this first round. There is going to be a learning curve. I think he needs to add a little bit of weight to his frame. But the athleticism and the length obviously cannot be taught. And I think the Bengals do need to start adding some high-caliber athletes to the offensive line. Like I saw Joe Goodberry, uh, who's a big Bengals guy on Twitter, listed recent um, offensive linemen that the Bengals have picked. And they've either picked very undersized offensive linemen like Deontay Smith from East Carolina in the fourth round this past year, who was like under 300 pounds, or blockers who are just did not test as high caliber athletes. And then they're wondering, hey, why isn't our offensive line good? With Bernard Raymond, I think they would get someone at 6'7 uh, with tight end esque athleticism after having played that position. Maybe it takes half of his rookie season for him to really come into his own. But if you're talking about Joe Burrow only entering year three, Jamar Chase entering year two, T. Higgins entering year three, um, that you are looking at 2022, 2023, 2024 to be one of the contenders in kind of this now jam-packed AFC. And you're okay if it takes a little bit of a redshirt season for Bernard Raymond to become, you know, that lockdown right tackle on this offensive line. Josh, where are you at on Raymond and uh, bottom of the first round guys you think that perhaps would do the Bengals some favors perhaps sooner rather than later too. Yeah. Raymond is a very athletic player, a guy that uh, seemingly improved on a weekly basis, which is what you would hope to see. Um, Another option at the end of the first round would be Northern Iowa's Trevor Penning. Uh, Depending on where you are, maybe you think he's gone by that point. You know, he kind of had an up and down senior bowl finished very strong. You finally saw the tenacity that he uses to finish blocks um, hey, let so me ask you this real quick, Josh, talking about Trevor Penning. I don't know if you saw the um, – oh, the highlight was low light during the practice. His thing was body slamming guys around the edge, and he actually threw a defender into the back of Desmond Ritter's legs, and it yeah. looked like, oh, my God, he, he killed Desmond Ritter. I get the playing with an edge, quote-unquote, but it feels like to a point it gets to be stupid because you're you're hurting people. Yeah, there's a part of that. I mean, you've got to rein that in when you, when you have that kind of mentality. Um, you know, I don't know – how he is off the field. I don't know if it's an aggression thing or if it's, you know, simply <laughs> contained on the football field. I don't, I don't know, but no, that's, that's certainly something that you have to consider those unnecessary penalties, especially in that kind of a setting is, you know, unacceptable. Um, so that is definitely something you probably try to get to the bottom of in your interviews. One other player that has been mentioned in that late day one, early day two range would be Kentucky, uh, Kentucky's Darian Kennard, who, has played offensive tackle throughout his career. I think he's better suited to play inside. He wants to play offensive tackle. I don't think he's the best fit for what Cincinnati wants to do. Um, he's more of a run-based offensive lineman, a mauler in the game. Cincinnati did a lot of four or five wide receiver sets this year. Um, so I don't know if necessarily that's the best fit. And I know that's not going to be popular in Northern Kentucky, this region uh, that I'm in, because I know a lot of Kentucky fans want to see him migrate up to the queen city of Ohio, but 
I just, I don't think that's a great fit. So if you're looking at late round options uh, in the first round, particularly, you're probably looking at Penning, uh, Penning or, or Raymond. It's going to be hysterical at the bottom of the first round when they take, take Drake London to, to bolster the <laughs> wide receiver core. Um, speaking of that, no, that's, that's a joke, but um, traps, let me ask you this. <clears throat> As I get, I'm choked up here thinking about John breach. <coughs> Excuse me. What are the other Bengals needs? Are there any other Bengals needs? What would you target um, outside of round one if you're looking to to fix that team? Interior defensive line. Like if they get to number 31 and like Bernard Raymond's gone, Zion Johnson goes to your Steelers, Ryan. They don't love Trevor Penning or he's already gone. I feel like Penning's going to go a lot earlier than 31 overall. They need an interior pass rusher. Like Geno Atkins hasn't been there for multiple seasons now. I think they did a good job like piecing together with like B.J. Hill DJ Reader is a great nose tackle, and he's a good pass rusher for being a nose tackle, but he's going to get you 20, 30, maybe 40 pressures a season. They have the good ends in Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard that are big. They're athletic. Um, they had a great postseason run. They were really reliable and consistent during the regular season. They need that up-the-field guy. Like If Devontae Wyatt is there and they don't love the interior um, offensive lineman or there's just none available, I would love them picking Devontae Wyatt and then, like, second and third round going offensive lineman, offensive lineman. That's the one spot that just in watching that Super Bowl in the first half, a fair amount of pressure on Matthew Stafford, mostly with the edges collapsing. But in that third and especially fourth quarter, um, I it just kind of felt like on the inside, they weren't able to, to generate a lot of pressure. And you just look at the names like Zach Kerr, um, a lot of like bottom of the roster-esque players that have bounced around journeymen um, that if they're looking ahead – to 2022, Larry Ogunjobi's a free agent. BJ Hill's a free agent. Um, they need someone that can create a consistent push with pass rushing moves and first step quickness on the interior of their defensive line. What do you think, Josh? What, what do you think they should target? Because uh, they don't have a ton of needs. I think Traps is right. The interior of the defensive line was an issue, although they magically played better during the postseason. But the, it was a, it was a tough goal of it at times. Yeah, I don't think the interior defensive line was that bad when everybody was healthy. They had a nice little rotation going there. Um, as you guys said, B.J. Hill, Larry Ogunjobi are both free agents. So that's a possibility where you look at a clean slate, you bring in a new guy that might have a little bit more pass rushing juice. Maybe that's an area that you look to address. I also think cornerback um, is an area where they could address because as good as Mike Hilton and uh, Chidabe Awuzie was, was this season, um, I don't what about know Eli that's... Apple? How good was he? <laughs> I don't know that that's um, necessarily a sustainable plan. Uh, Fernand nice Hargreaves did not help them in the postseason either. He got his uh, name out there, though. <laughs> he did get his name out there. Trey Flowers, I mean, situationally, he you know did some things for that franchise. But I think you're looking for that lockdown cornerback. Maybe you stay in the city. I don't think uh, Ahmad Gardner is going to be available. I, I think he's going to be gone much earlier than that. But um, you know, you've got some other options, whether it's Kyler Gordon or Trent McDuffie from Washington, Kyrie Elam from Florida, um, number of options at the cornerback position. Maybe that's something that they look to address. Uh, if anybody was going to get a contract extension in Cincinnati, it was probably, it probably should have been Lou Anarumo, uh, cause mm. he got the most out of that unit this season. I mean, you look at the journeyman that they signed on the defensive side of the ball and he was able to squeeze every drop of juice out of that lemon. No, that's a great point. I feel like if they fix this offensive line, get two or three quality guys 
Zach Taylor, we still won't know if Zach Taylor's a good coach. He'll win 10 games every year because of Joe Burrow on the offensive line, and we'll have no real conception of whether he's legitimately good. Sort of like Matt, uh, Matt LaFleur, and not being disrespectful, but when you have Aaron Rodgers, you can sort of put that thing on cruise control and, and take a nap. Um, all right, let's take a break. We'll come back for a little bit of a senior bowl talk because we haven't talked since then. We've had a little hiatus here while, with all the travel, and uh, yeah, we'll be right back. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, guys. Senior Bowl. Let's see what happens here. So I was in lovely Mobile, Alabama two weeks ago where on the Wednesday practice, it, it rained for four straight hours and it was about 50 degrees. It was, uh, you know, all you could hope and, and pray for. Uh, but one of the biggest takeaways for me, and I'll be interested to hear your takeaways as well, is that um, none of the quarterbacks blew the doors off, but I don't think any of the quarterbacks did anything to hurt themselves. I mean, there's still questions about Carson Strong and his knee. Bailey Zappi is probably a day three guy, and we knew that going in, but, he, you know, he gets the most out of his ability, so credit him for that. People were really impressed with Malik Willis, his Wednesday practice, and um, I went back and watched his Wednesday practice. He was okay. I mean, it wasn't like he was suddenly Russ Wilson or something, and, and um, I'm interested what you guys think about that, and, and I'll, I'll start with this, and Josh, you can go <clears throat> go first, but I was watching the Louisiana Lafayette Liberty game again because I was looking at one of the, the Louisiana defensive backs. What's his name? His name is uh, Percy Butler. Percy Butler. Actually, yeah. yeah, he's he's a he's a fun guy. If you are a team, a fan of a team that needs a quarterback, and you want to know how Malik Willis is, please, for the love of God, do not watch this Louisiana game because you will think this guy learned how to throw a football 15 minutes before that game started. Some of the throws, some of the misses are like I don't know what he's looking at. Um, but for you, the overall senior bowl takeaway for Malik Willis, given that he was sort of the only show in town in Liberty in terms of carrying that offense. Yeah, there weren't many games that you could watch this year where you walked away saying he's a polished passer. Um, it was good to get a number next to his speed. I mean, we all knew he was fast, but to see that uh, comparable speed to Kyler Murray, I think was interesting. Uh, it's a little bit different speed and agility, of course, but uh, good to see some some actual numbers with his speed. Um, other than that, it was a lot of the same. I mean, the settings that he excelled in were throwing against air, you know, in one on one routes and, you know, stuff like that. He should be impressing. But when you get to the game, when you get to a live setting, we continue to see him holding on to the football too long. And that's going to be an issue for him at the next level. Yeah, he's got great feet. He has the intangible or the uh, the skill set to make some big plays with his arm at times, but there's going to be a learning curve. I mean, he, he's not going to walk in and be 
this Josh Allen type player from day one. That's that's simply not going to happen. You've got to give him some time. And I think what we keep coming back to is his footwork, um, specifically his speed and his ability to run as a quarterback is what might give him a fighting chance to buy that time in the NFL to potentially develop as a passer. So that's kind of why I think people are intrigued by Malik Willis. So you mentioned Josh Allen, and I want to ask you, Traps, exactly that question because, you know, I talk about this all the time, and I think we all agree. You know, we'll get a, a thought in our head about whether a player's good or not in college, and then we don't want to move off that thought. And then the reality is these kids are 21, 22 years old, and they're going to get better. Josh Allen's a perfect example coming out of Wyoming. Didn't have anyone around them. He was carrying that team, and he struggled. And then, you know, Brandon Bean, the GM of the Bills, decided they were going to roll the dice on him, and, it, and it's worked out better than anyone could have expected. Is there any Malik Willis and Josh, or excuse me, any Josh Allen and Malik Willis's game? Uh, that's your first question. You can sort of give me your senior bowl thoughts on how Malik did. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, Josh Allen in Malik Willis. He's obviously not as big. He's only just over six foot. But in someone that watched all of Josh uh, Allen's final season and even in 2016 at Wyoming, watching Malik Willis, I, I see someone that holds the ball too long, like Josh said, you know, too frequently. Um, but does make a lot of those big-time throws that I just did not see nearly as frequently from even Kenny Pickett or Matt Corral or Desmond Ritter, Carson Strong, any of the other quarterbacks. He does make some bad decisions. Josh Allen made some bad decisions at Wyoming and early in his NFL career. But to think that Malik Willis is not going to come in and be Josh Allen right away, I agree with that. But Josh Allen was not Josh Allen right away. In his first like eight starts as a rookie, he didn't look like an NFL quarterback. Like I, I remember watching those games thinking, man, if this continues, he might not even be on the team next year. And then to, after he started, you know, eight, eight, nine games, he got injured in the middle of his rookie season. When he came back, things started to slow down for him a little bit. He did get rid of the football a little bit more frequently, didn't take as many sacks. And even if he was making those hero ball bad throws across his body, they were being counteracted by the big time throws. So that's what I I see a lot of the same stuff with Malik Willis. Definitely um, the propensity to run. And if he doesn't like what he sees, he's going to take off, um, which certainly needs to be ironed out of his game. But like Josh mentioned, it's a good point. If you have that athleticism, you can buy time. I mean, Deshaun Watson got sacked a ton in his first couple seasons in Houston. He was still a problem when he was still playing. But if you can create some plays with your legs, on those plays that you're not getting sacked and you do have misfires, but you're also hitting 60 yard touchdowns over the top that can allow you time to let the game slow down a little bit. And certainly you want to put a good environment around Malik Willis. Um, that's going to be key, even probably more so than any other of the quarterbacks in this class. But with him, you do have that all pro ask ability that I don't know if any of the other passers have. All right. Let me ask you this traps just uh yes or no is, is Malik Willis, to be drafted, should he be drafted inside the top 10? I, I would, yes, All right, you, yes, you would positional so is, value. Yes, yes, is the follow up question is, is Josh Allen a unicorn or is this a, a blueprint where Malik Willis in the right situation can have 75% of Josh Allen's success? I think the latter. I, I don't think he can be Josh Allen 2.0 because he's not. 6'6", 260. I, I don't think he's going to be running over cornerbacks in the playoffs. But, yes, he you can get 75% of Josh Allen. The offensive line is at least serviceable. You get him a true number one receiver like 
Josh Allen has, like Kyler Murray has with DeAndre Hopkins, like Matthew Stafford has with Cooper Cup, and build around him with other good secondary and tertiary options at receiver. Josh, Malik Willis top 10 pick for you? No. And is he 75% of Josh Allen, best case scenario, right fit, Saints or whatever? I mean, you know, best case scenario, yeah, I think I think that would be great. But, you know, we get into this game of chasing chasing com- chasing oh. yeah chasing waterfalls <laughs> uh chasing comps you know we look for the next josh allen we look for the next tyree kill and sometimes there just isn't one you know um so in an ideal world yeah i mean he gets into that stratosphere of being a comparable josh allen but i do think there's a lot of danger in chasing the comps yeah no it's it's a it's a tough one because again i don't want to shut down malik willis because of josh allen but again how many times do we see josh allen come along and so far it feels like once uh, all right, Josh, I'll come back to you. Over the course of the three practices in the game, who, who do you think improved their stock? You can give me one name, two names, however many you want, coming out of the Senior Bowl. Well, I wanted to start with Georgia defensive tackle, Devontae Wyatt, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't have him as a big riser. I think he showed on tape that he was a first-round type player. So instead, I will say Florida State edge rusher Jermaine Johnson, who was a lot more impressive to me than than what I saw on tape. I thought he showed – um, more pop around the edge. I thought he did used his hands better. He showed some more moves. Um, I was very impressed, although he didn't finish the week. I thought he had a very good week and uh, certainly helped himself in my eyes. I'm with you on, on Jermaine Johnson. I think I had him like a second round guy coming into the week and it felt like the Montez Sweat sort of situation where he was just destroying people time and time again. And Montez Sweat would have gone higher if not for that, that sort of late in the process, hard issue. Um, that he still ended up being a first-round pick, and uh, I agree 100%. What do you got, Traps? I think Calvin Austin, the tiny receiver from Memphis, when I watched his film, I was like, okay, he's fast, but is he really getting open that frequently on his own? And definitely the Senior Bowl is great for getting open and taking like seven seconds to do so, and that's completely fine in those one-on-one drills. But I just saw a lot more quickness and more like polish from him as a route runner. And just... I think there is just some value in literally watching a wide receiver get open and catch touchdown after touchdown after touchdown <laughs> in practice that those GMs and, and you know scouting directors say like, hey, we come here to watch these three practices. We care about those more so than the game. Calvin Austin seemingly was uncoverable all week. Uh, could he be that 2-2 Atwell guy that we know is way undersized and is going to have problems? dealing with the physicality in the NFL that ultimately goes in the second round quite earlier than a lot of people thought. I, I think he could be almost strictly based on, yes, he had you know a lot of statistics, a lot of production at Memphis. I didn't think the film was spectacular, but because of the week he had in Mobile, he's, I think, cemented on day two of the draft. I love Calvin Austin. I liked him coming into the week. In fact, if you go back and watch that 2020 game against Marcus Jones out of Houston, Marcus Jones mm. – you know, he's not a chump and th- that he gave Marcus Jones all he could handle. And he's a, a return guy, a, a punt returner. <clears throat> I was talking to a scout at the, at the senior bowl about him and he goes, yeah, he's, you know, he's four feet tall, but he can be a four down player. If you want, in especially situations, you can certainly find, find ways to get him involved. And, you know, once he's in the open field, that's a wrap. You, you're not getting your hands on him. I thought he had a really good week. He had some focus drops at Memphis. So those are the things you have to sort of consider. Speaking of focus drops, I'll, I'll mention a couple of names of guys that, that really stood out for me. Jalen Tolbert out of South Alabama. Uh, again, that guy drops more freaking passes than you can wrap your head around. He'll make an incredibly difficult catch and then drop on the hits of the hands, but he looks the part. He looks like Will Fuller. 
He's not quite that fast, but he's that sort of playmaker. Christian Watson, the kid out of North Dakota State, he was really good coming into the week. Uh, he had a really good week as well. Um, <clears throat> Alec Pierce looked pretty good out of Cincinnati, and and Khalil uh, Shakir, uh, Khalil Shakir, excuse me, out of um, wait, where did he go? Boise State. Boise State. State. I'm, I'm trying to read the uh, the abbreviations. IDBO. I'm like, what is that? Yeah, that's right. I liked him coming in. I didn't love him, but it, he had a really good week. And then some of the cornerbacks. And safeties, Jalen Petra out of Baylor. Uh, he was good coming in. He he did nothing to to change that opinion. I thought that Kobe Bryant played better that week than I saw during the season. Obviously, Sauce Gardner is is a dude, but Kobe Bryant wasn't quite that same dude at points during the season, but he had a really good week. And finally, I'll mention one oh, Roger McCreary, who I think we all like. Love him. Yeah. Lacks the Love physical him. skills that you typically see in a, in a big time first round corner. And maybe he doesn't go in round one, but he was locked down all week. And, you know, as Josh mentioned, you're going up against air, but as a D back, you're not, you actually have to cover people. And I thought he did a, a really good job with that. Um, Josh, I'll come back to you. Anyone that you sort of was like, Ugh, I was hoping for more and didn't quite see it. Yeah. And we had McCreary on the pick six YouTube channel last oh, that's week. Right. Talking about uh, his senior bowl experience. And what, what do you say, by the way? He had a lot of really good stuff to say. He was talking about some of the battles that he's that he's had in the SEC. Um, Traylon Burks is another guy that we had on the show later in the week. So it was interesting trying to get the opinions of both of those guys on what it was like to face each other in a game setting. I think they both offered some insight into, you know, what they're looking at pre-snap and the challenges that each presents after the snap. Um, so it was a really good, good conversation with both. If you haven't checked that out on the pick six YouTube uh, feed. Um, but I will say one player that I thought needed to do more was Nevada quarterback, Carson strong. Yeah. Um, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast, you know, over the last several months. Um, he's a guy that has no mobility. So for that sake, you need him to be an elite passer you need him to separate himself from the others in that kind of a setting. And he just didn't do that, unfortunately. So um, for me, I think he was one that didn't, didn't give quite as much as he needed to um, down in Mobile. No, that's a good one. Uh, by the way, before I let you talk, Travis, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Travis Jones absolutely destroying people in the one-on-one yeah, out of UConn, uh, the lone bright spot on that, on that UConn team. Perry and Winfrey won the MVP of the, of the uh, game, I believe. He had a good week as well. Uh, uh, traps anyone that uh, you wanted to see more from and didn't quite give it to you? Daniel Falele from Minnesota. I mean, to measure in at like 6'8", 389 or whatever it was, like he's bigger than Mekhi Becton, bigger than Evan Neal, which is insane. Um, and, and his film at Minnesota this season against some kind of, to me, lackluster Big Ten pass rushers was actually pretty good. Uh, but I, I thought in those one-on-ones that do seem pretty translatable to the next level, and, and we usually take a lot from them in the trenches, edge rusher against offensive tackle, Falele, like just his lateral quickness, obviously at almost 400 pounds, was just not there. And it seemed like a lot of the edge rushers knew, like, yeah, rush up the field, then cross over to the inside, and he's just not going to be able to get his hands on you. Definitely the size and the length are immense. And it, Feels like he's probably still going to be a top 100 pick just because of that. But had he shown a little better quickness or even came in a little bit lighter than 390 pounds, I think he would have done a lot for himself to maybe even move into the you know early second or maybe late first round range. 
It's funny you mentioned that because I was talking to Scott specifically about Falele, and he said, here's the thing. Depending on which games you're watching, he's a top 20 pick, or he's like yeah, a, exactly. a late day two guy. And he said mm-hmm. he's young. Like, he hasn't played a lot of football. He's sort of like uh, Bernard Raymond in that sense. And there may be some questions about his love of the game, all the stupid crap we have to hear around this, this time of year. But he, he is a legit football player and if you want to see he mentioned like there are 30 plays you could point to and be like oh my god this guy is going to be uh, a great nfl player and he said half those came in that ohio state game and um i had seen that game and i was he was like just destroying people and, and i think that's going to be the math that the, the teams have to do as we go through this process i like him a lot and um i think those one-on-one drills are a disservice for guys who weigh over 375 pounds <laughs> 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 well, he that he got steamrolled by a couple of smaller guys too, so that was that was a little bit concerning to see. I didn't really see that on his tape, but no. it definitely catches your eye when you see a smaller guy put a 390 pound offensive tackle on his back. Yeah, the same scout said to me. I mean, look at this man standing next to Darren Kennard. He's three or four inches taller and 30 or 40 pounds heavier. And Kennard also got steamrolled by Jermaine Johnson that one-on-one drill to end it. But again, I'm not putting too much in that. Those are two really good football players and. You know, you're asking an offensive lineman to win every time. Sometimes you lose some, um, but those, those, both those players, I think, are going to end up being uh, top seventy picks. And they go outside of that, that'll be interesting. But for me, the the name I'll mention in terms of guys I want to see more from two guys, Darian Kendrick, who now plays for Georgia, played at Clemson. He didn't have a great week, uh, at least in the, in the drills. Maybe he played better in the game if he played. I don't, I, haven't, I don't even remember. I haven't gone back and watched the game. But in the one on one drills, I wanted to see more. And I didn't quite see it. I still like him. He's one of my favorite players. Um, But I thought Andrew Booth, if we're being honest, had a better 2021 season uh, at Clemson than than um, uh, Darren Kendrick did at at Georgia. And also, Dontario Drummond. That's a guy, the wide receiver at Ole Miss. I cannot put my finger on what his deal, what his deal is. Like you watch Ole Miss and I don't, I was asking some people, no one can give me a straight answer. I don't know if it's by design that those wide receivers run half-ass routes like for, 60% 60% of the snaps, if that's part of the Lane Kiffin, you know, aura, or if it's just they're out, they're not out there running hard. And I saw some of that actually at the senior bowl. So maybe it's just me. Maybe I, I'm not seeing things correctly. Dontario Drummond could be, and I don't want to say this and be quoted on it, but he could be Debo Samuel in terms of after the yards after the catch ability. He's not Debo Samuel. He's more like Debo from, from Friday uh, in terms of his ability to run the football, because it, it just doesn't show up consistently, and it starts for me with a little urgency getting off the line of scrimmage. So I didn't see that. I wanted to see more of that. Uh, hopefully, throughout the process, that that will happen. Um, any other any other final thoughts, Josh, from your Senior Bowl takeaways? No, I think we covered it. I was, uh, you know, we had chatted a little bit about what you saw from the quarterbacks throughout the week. So you know, I thought it was good to see. Um, you know, some, some ideas from someone that was actually on the ground and saw it in person, uh, as opposed to just the variety of media tweets that were coming out of mobile, because I mean, there was some stuff that really <laughs> like the hype is well down. The hype train is well down the tracks with a couple <laughs> of guys based on what was coming out of there. But, um, I think when you walk, watch the practice tape and, you know, kind of talk to people a little bit after the dust is settled, we really didn't learn that much from the quarterbacks, um, down there. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's right. Traps, you got anything? How about Damian Pierce, the running back from Florida? Like the the job that he did, it kind of went viral uh, in pass protection. I think him at like 5'9", 220, like he is compact of a running back as you're going to see in the draft. Then you turn on his film and, and you watch him at the senior bowl practices. 
he's pretty twitched up. Like he can change directions in a hurry. And at that size, he is just effortlessly powerful. And you always hear it's like a coaching cliche that, Hey, if you're a good pass protector, you'll be on the field on third downs. Damian Pierce in a running back class that has those big three names, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, and Isaiah Spiller. I think he kind of made a name for himself to maybe be the fourth or the fifth running back off the board. It's funny you mentioned that because I was down there with Scott Pioli and he is a huge Damian. He was talking about him all week about how much he loved, how well he was doing throughout the week. So I think you're onto something and you're not alone uh, in thinking that that's a, that's a good note there. All right, guys, that's it for this week's pick six pod draft version. We'll be back next week uh, as we continue down the official uh, post. What is it? Official draft season as we get into the thing. Super Bowl's over. So more mock draft talk. Combine's coming up. We have a ton of stuff to get into. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week.